welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. And today we're talking about how to change culture with Jonathan McClendon. Hey friends, we've got a really fun episode for you here today. We're going back to the Church Leaders Conference uh, vault. And we want you to hear a talk that Jonathan Bakluda gave about how to shift culture. Some of us had a chance to create culture initially, and we're continuing it on. Some of us are in places where we didn't get a chance to create it initially, and we now need to change it. And that's a little bit of a different skill set. There's some different things to keep in mind there. And that's what we wanted Jonathan uh, Bakluda to talk about, JP, as we uh, as we refer to him here, uh, to our audience uh, that day. And JP knows um, how to do this because that's what he has done, He's or he's actually done both. He was here at Watermark for 12 years and led a really, uh, really thriving ministry. And in many respects, JP had a chance to really just continue the culture that was created uh, before him. Well, he left after 12 years and went down to uh, Waco to Harris Creek Baptist Church. And he's going to talk about his journey of changing culture, being new to a place, which I think will be really helpful if you're trying to change culture at your place. Or uh, I think also if you just want to tweak things uh, where you are, there'll be some really good, uh, really good takeaways. And I, I think the thing I want you to, to hear, though, he's got a great outline that will be really helpful. But I want you to listen to the level of intentionality that JP has as he talks about this and how much work he has put into a changing culture. What he didn't do was just send an email to his staff and say, this is our new culture. Uh, it's been decided now. There is a lot of work, a lot of conversations, a lot of risky moves, bold moves, lots of conversations to change culture. And so uh, if as much as anything, I think that's actually going to be really instructive. And so hopefully some of these things will be helpful to you as you look to either change culture or improve the culture uh, that you have. So without further ado, please listen to this talk from Jonathan Pakluda. As we talk about shifting culture, some of you've been trying to, and you feel like you've been spinning your wheels. And the harder you try, it just feels like the more stuck you get. And I understand. You're going to hear some things. You heard some things yesterday. Hear some things today. Hear some things tomorrow. You're like, I can't wait to go back and implement that. And when you do, you're going to hit a brick wall. It's not going to happen like you thought, you know. And so that's really what I want to talk about is how do we shift a culture? You may have heard that culture eats strategy for breakfast. What I would tell you is culture is strategy applied. If you want to know if your strategy is working, look at your culture. Because the culture of the churches that you're a part of is your strategy lived out. Now, if you are a lay leader and you came here, way to go. You have fresh eyes in your organization to ask a really powerful question. I wonder why we do that. Why do we do it like that? And you can do so in a respectful way, but but you bring something really valuable to the table. And if you're on a staff of a church, even more so, you're closer to the inside, if you will, and you can respectfully, and in a way that's honoring, ask those same questions. Have we ever considered doing it this way? And if you're a lead pastor or a senior pastor and you're here, everybody's looking to you to define the culture. You have a tremendous responsibility on your shoulders, and I know that you can't do it 
without buy-in. And so let's talk about how to shift a culture. I'm going to give you five things to do in an effort to shift your culture. And I think this may be the most important church leaders conference that has ever been because for some of you, your church hasn't been gathering, you're starting to get back together. And I don't know that there's ever been a better time in history to shift your culture. Like to bring your people back to something different than they left. And as they slowly fold back in to say, okay, we're gonna go this way now. And this is, this is the direction we're going. It's a new day. And so number one, you wanna start with the mission statement. You wanna start with the mission statement. Is it actual or is it aspirational? The mission statement is not what you hope your church would do. The mission statement is this is what we're doing. We're going to measure our success based on our ability to do this, and we're going to measure do we spend money on this, do we, do we go this direction, do we hire these people? Everything is going to be measured against that. When I moved to Harris Creek, the mission statement was seeking the welfare of the city. Then that's a fine mission statement. It was painted on the wall really big, right there, still is. It's painted on the wall really big, seeking the welfare that comes from Jeremiah. It's straight from the scripture. But I had fresh eyes, and I just raised my hand, and I asked the question. I said, you know, we're a small church. We're, we're not in Waco. We're outside the city of Waco in, in, a, in a town called McGregor. And to get to McGregor from Waco, you drive through Woodway and Hewitt and Lorena. And I just said, hey, what city? are we seeking the welfare of? It required some explaining. And the other thing that I noticed is it didn't talk about Jesus. And I'm like, if we're gonna say one thing that we are going to be about, it needs to include Jesus. And so we shifted it to, we exist to help everyone follow Jesus by engaging the lost, equipping the saints, and empowering members for service. And from that moment forward, every decision that we made, we just asked the question, does it help us help everyone follow Jesus by engaging the lost, equipping the saints, or empowering members for service? And if it doesn't, we're not going to do it. Because as you return to your churches, what you want to do is mercilessly annihilate anything that reeks of inauthenticity. Like if we're doing anything just because it's, oh, we've always done it and it's, it's churchy and that's what we learned and we learned a church jargon and a church language, sometimes it's just good to like make a shift and say, is this really what we want to be about? And so we began to look at the core values and they were fine core values, but I just said, is this really, like if we're going to say, are these really our core values? And so I asked the staff, hey, what do you think our core values are? And, and we came up with authentic, biblical, devoted, community-centered, uh, grace-filled, innovative, missional, and prayerful. That's what they told me. Th these are the values that we're currently living out. I said, that's our core values then. Let's write those down. Let's put some verses to those and hold those up in front of the body and say, this is what we want to be about. But one time, we, we gather every Tuesday for several hours. Our entire staff gets into a room, and we pray, and we check in. And really what we're doing in that time is we're measuring ourselves against our mission statement and our core values through stories. 
And so I said, hey, who's been missional this week? Who shared the gospel? And one Tuesday, no hands went up. No one had shared the gospel that week. I said, great, meeting over, everybody leave, go talk to a lost person and come back after you've shared the gospel and we'll pick up the meeting back up because these are really our core values. We really want to do this. Now, some of you, you don't need to change your mission statement. You're at a place where you're realizing, oh, we just need to start living it out. Like, that's what we need to start doing. But so far, I've talked a lot about change, and and I don't know if you know this, but the church that I went to is a 145-year-old Baptist church. There's a lot of tradition there. And I don't want to come in as the new guy and trump all of the, the people that have gone before me or invalidate their work, and so that's number two. You wanna honor the history. Honor the history. Esteem those who've gone before you. Esteem those who've paid a great price for you to be there. Our church has been around so long, there was actually a church split documented in, in a journal that happened when they installed indoor plumbing. Okay, that's how long it's been around. And so you know as Baptists, we don't do anything fast, right? But what I want to do is I just want to be grateful for those who've gone before me, like those who have paid a price. The first series, I thought, you know, okay, I'm the new guy, you know, and I, I want to say, hey, it's a new day. You got a new leader. Let's go, you know, pow my chest. And then the Lord in his subtle ways just humbled me. And so we were going to start a new series called Fresh Start. And we were going to roll out those core values. Like it's a new day. And he just said, no. This thing's been going along just fine without you. It's been around for a really long time. And we changed the name of that series from Fresh Start to Momentum. And I said, no, I'm stepping into a momentum. Let's keep going. I want to continue the work that you've done, that that God has has been doing. Because you guys know when this started, right? Matthew 16. Jesus walks up on a hill in Caesarea Philippi a couple thousand years ago. Hey, who do they say the Son of Man is? Uh, some say Jeremiah, others Elijah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. I don't know. Well, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter speaks up. Uh-oh. Uh, you, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right, Peter. That's right. That's right. And you're my rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Unstapable, you know? (laughs) Nothing, nothing's going to overcome this. And so all of us, this thing's been getting along just fine prior to us getting there. And now we're here, and we get to steward a little section of time. Acts 17 says he's determined our boundaries and our places and the time that we exist. And that's what we steward. We want to honor those who've gone before us. We want to thank them. We want to build on the work that they've done. They, they fought to you know, incorporate the changes that we take advantage of, that we benefit from. But I say you want to honor, not enable. And there's overlap between those two things. Sometimes honoring can be enabling. And, and there are things that you want to do away with. As a new guy with fresh eyes, I noticed as a church, we talked about people a lot. Okay, let me just tell you, like everyone had a reputation. There was this lady that sent really long emails, okay? There was the the guy that was always on his phone in the front row, you know, on Facebook during the message. Everybody knew who he was. 
And then there was the guy that he didn't want to switch to community groups model, a group model. He still wanted to do Sunday school. And so he had a room in the church that we, they just let him be in, you know? <laughs> and so what's cool is like, I'm new. I don't have much to lose. So I just go, oh, hey, you're the lady that sends the really long emails. And she's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, everybody knows you, you send the pages and pages of emails and nobody has time to read. You should stop doing that. <laughs> and oh, you're the guy with the, always oh, on my Facebook, on the front row, that's you. And I met with the guy and said, oh, you, you're the guy that wants to be left alone in this room because you are resistant to authority, church authority. You, you, don't, you don't listen to Hebrews 13. Like that's, you, you believe you're above that, right? And you know what he said? You know what happened at that lunch? He was like, wait, what? what? Where'd you, who told you that? So everybody told me that. Did you not know that? Did no one tell you that? He started weeping. He repented. He began to confess sin. He showed up to our staff meeting and brought breakfast the next day. And he apologized. Like, that's what God did. And so, listen, if you see something happening that's sinful, don't let it continue under the banner of tradition, right? But as you cast a vision widely, I want to encourage you to, because you're all leaders, you're at the Church Leaders Conference, to invest in the individuals. To invest in individuals. You, you can cast vision widely, but the buy-in is going to come from an individual level. Let me give you a really powerful question. As you cast vision widely, as you say something to a group of people, then grab individuals and say, hey, what do you think about that? Because what that's going to do is it's going to communicate to you whether they're bought in or not. Or if there's a problem that everyone's talking about but they're not telling you, and hopefully that's not your culture, but if it exists, they'll, they'll tell you then. they say, you know what, I have this concern. And esteem them when they express a concern, when they give you feedback. But I, I, relationships are everything. And so like where, where our, our church is strengthened is on the back porches of houses and on patios and, and at movie theaters. Like I want to hang out. We're not just a team, but we're a family. And I want to build relationships with those folks. The people who are on staff right now that will be on staff 10 years from now are people that we're hanging out a lot outside of the hours of eight and five. We have genuine friendships as we wage war against the enemy together. And I want their opinion. I often have them answer questions in their minds first, like, hey, don't say it out loud because I don't want a group think. I want everyone's individual opinion first. And so they'll, they'll get their opinion. Sometimes they'll write it down, and then we'll go around, and everyone will answer. And we won't start until everyone has it because Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Do you know why that verse is in my message? Because I had a group of people listen to this message that I'm on staff with. And, and the administrative assistant of our church said, hey, you should put Proverbs 15:22 there. And I said, that's a great idea. And that's why it's there. I, I want their opinions. I, I want to learn from their ideas. All of their minds together are much better than mine alone. What I told them, we met at a, at a retreat. And I said, here's the deal. I saw the staff. I knew who was here. And I chose you. Like the Lord called us here and I said, hey, I want to do ministry with that staff. I chose you, but you didn't choose me. And honestly, I know that some of them wouldn't have chosen me. I wouldn't have been their choice. 
But I said, here's the deal, in the next three months, I want you to get to know me to the point where you can choose me. You can come over, my life is available to you. You can come over at any time, you can have dinner with us, we can hang out anytime you want. You can ask me any question, there's nothing too personal. Anything you wanna know, I will tell you, but sometimes in the next three months, you need to say, hey, I choose you so that we can run this race together. And if you don't, if you don't choose me or you don't want to choose me, I personally will help you find a job that pays more than you make right now, right? Because I don't want anyone on this staff to have a job. It's a calling. So if at any point you say, hey, I don't choose you, I hope someone tests me on this. And there were four people at that retreat that I thought, you know, they're not going to be here in, in six months. And three of them, the Lord graciously moved on to greener pastures. I mean, they're still alive, but, but they... they um, <laughs> They, went, they actually went to other cities and, and things, and, and one of them I was wrong about. I was very wrong about, and he's here today, and he knows who he is, and he's an amazing leader, you know? <laughs> yeah, awkward. Uh, I love you. And everything is about how the individual is doing. And so in that staff prayer, one time I asked, I just said, hey, if you had to love God more before the sun sets today, what would you do? Like, what would you do if you absolutely had to love God more before the sun sets? Like, what stirs your affections for Jesus? And some of them said, well, you know, just spending time with him. Uh, one of them said, debating substitutionary atonement. It's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Somebody said, you know, snowboarding in Colorado, that stirs my affections for Jesus. Others of them said, sitting by a lake, and they wrote it down. And I said, all right, meeting adjourned, and you have to go do that right now. And like, if you said Colorado, I'll send you there. Like, you, you get your plane tickets, but, but right now, everyone needs to go do this, because what else is more important than our affections for Jesus being stirred? I want to invest in the individual, right? I mean, that's what's most important to us as a church staff. And those kind of spontaneous adventures like that, they're fun. And that's what I would say, number four, you got to frequent fun. You have to frequent fun. You, I know you've learned that here. I know that that's a big message, a big part of the culture here at Watermark. But I was, I was with a group of pastors recently in Colorado, and this was in the midst of the global pandemic, and, and they went around and said, hey, what's the biggest challenge that you face right now? And everybody, like, had one. And so there were 50 pastors, and everybody shared a problem, and there were some overlaps, but the person who went last said this, decision fatigue. And the room erupted. And everybody's like, oh, yes, decision fatigue. That's our biggest problem. That's what we're experiencing. And I would just tell you that, that people in churches and pastors are tired. And when you're tired, fun becomes all the more important. You know, Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today. I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. Uh, prayer is extremely important. Sometimes you have so much to do, you're like, I need to spend the next hour at a movie theater or playing whirly ball or, or, or just going and making a memory. My friend Blake Holmes up here says all the time, make a memory. I'll ask him, I'm like, hey, you know, Blake, is it, are you all right if I go on vacation? He's like, make a memory, you know? And, and, and that's so important to us as the Lord knits our heart together 
on the church staff, that we are making a memory, that we are having fun, that we're not wasting it. On our, our first, uh, that, that retreat where we met each other, I said, all right, um, we're going to Farkle, to which they said, what's that? And I said, it's a dice game, and the loser has to swim, and it was January. It was like 28 degrees. And, uh, and I said, who wants to play? And they were like, nobody wants to play. <laughs> and I said, well, the winner gets to go on an all-expense-paid trip to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. And they were like, okay, we'll play, you know? And, and so, <laughs> and I know that sounds elaborate, but sometimes you can talk to people, you can find those things donated, or you can go on cheapcaribbean.com and find it for $2.99 or something, and, and that's a great investment of $299. Whatever we can do to incorporate a, a culture of fun, because these guys don't make a ton of money, and they've given their life for the cause of ministry, they signed up for it, and so anything that we can do to invest in them, anything that we can do to frequent fun is, is going to be a good investment. And then lastly, I want you to know that trust doesn't transfer, okay? Trust doesn't transfer. All of my other points have been imperative commands. I know that this one is more of an idea. If you're type A and that throws you off, you can make it trust that trust doesn't transfer. But, uh, <laughs> but, but this was a big surprise for me. Okay, and so I went down there, and I thought, okay, you know, the porch, it's a national ministry, like, that's, that's what I've been leading, like, they know and, and understand, you know, the thing that I've been a part of, and, and so when I get down there, like, it's, it's going to be like, hey, we're glad you're here, and, and this and that, but it's not like they had been watching all my YouTube videos and, and whatnot, it was kind of like, all right, who are you? Okay, great, you know, here we are, and I got an email, I had been there four weeks. I got an email from, from somebody that had visited and said, hey, I visited your church, I noticed you don't do much for young adults. There's this church in Dallas I really think you could learn from. They have, I'm not, I'm not kidding. They have a ministry called The Porch and, and you should look into it. I'm, I'm dead, I thought I was being punked, okay? I'm, I am dead serious, and so I just responded kindly, and I said, oh, you know, that was a ministry that I was actually a part of for over a decade, and um, they had no idea. Friends, the biggest price I paid going to Waco, the biggest price, I was in a group of nine guys. And I, I was there when their babies were born. I did some of their weddings. Yeah, we, we were on international mission trips together. I mean, we had been at war. We had bled out. You know, we, and there was trust. I could say, hey, we need to go laugh. They said, okay, man, we, we've been left before. Let's go. We, said, we need to go right. Okay, we'll go right. Let's go. Right. And then you show up as the new guy. And when I say that's the biggest price, like keep in mind, like we left our dream home, pulled our kids away from Mayberry School. Like they had all, all went to the same school, had all of their friends. And we had this family meeting and said, hey, guess what? We're going to move two hours south of here. You're going to leave your friends. We're going to sell this house. I, I left this amazing place. And the greatest cost, the greatest expense to me was trust. And I had to begin to rebuild it from nothing. And I'll tell you 
that trust is gained in drops and lost in buckets. Okay, trust is gained in drops and lost in buckets. And here's how this is relevant to you. There is you're here today, you're like, well, I'm not new at a church. You're here today and, and you're going to, to be somewhere else Monday and maybe they're not here with you. And so you, you gotta almost kind of watch your excitement and say, oh my, it was amazing and there was this and there was these guys, it was funny and they set these dates up and that was weird and they, you know, and, and, and they, I learned this and I learned this and I learned, and you know what, we need to and we need to and we need to. And I would just go slow. In the same way that it's taken three days for some of that to settle in, sit down and, and go slow in the turns and say, hey, these are the shifts that I think we should make, or if that's not the position you're in, say, hey, help me understand why we do this, because I saw something. Would you like to know more about it? Because know that that trust doesn't transfer. That experience isn't going to transfer to that meeting. And if there's broken trust on your staff, you've got to deal with that vigilantly. Uh, We sat in that meeting Tuesday morning. I had been there about a month. And I just said, hey, let me ask you guys a question. Has anyone in here been hurt by someone else in this room that you haven't dealt with? And I said, I'm I'm gonna ask you to have the courage to raise your hand. Is there anybody in here that's been hurt by someone else in this room? And hands started going up. And I said, well, there's our day. We're not gonna do anything else until this is resolved. Because what else are we gonna do? And so if you work at a place where somebody gets on your nerves consistently and you've told others that they get on your nerves but you haven't told them, like what else are you going to do? How are we going to do the work of God while we're doing the work of Satan? The one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Divide our churches. You know, to have those meetings, relationships are everything. And so in summary, start with the mission statement. Honor the history. Invest in individuals. Frequent fun. And know that trust doesn't transfer. If you need help remembering that, it's the acrostic shift. Okay? We're shifting. There's a shift. I think we talk a lot about turning the battleship or how are we going to slow, you know, turn something. You're not looking to turn anything. We're shifting. We're, we're moving a slightly different direction. We're still moving toward Jesus, but these are some things that need to shift. And I know you see how important frequent fun is. You don't want to remove that one. I'm just saying, man, I'm saying make sure you have fun. I, I never, I never was able to get unstuck on the beach of Port Aransas. Once that tire started spinning, I was done. I, like never once. In my 16 to 18 years of age, never was I stuck on that beach and I was able to get myself out. I mean, multiple times of vacation, I would get stuck. It was embarrassing. And I was never able to get out. I just couldn't figure it out. I go get my dad. My dad, he knew that truck, you know. I walk back to the place where we were staying. And I say, Dad, I'm stuck again. 
Or I'd send somebody, say, hey, you got to go get dad. I'd send a sibling, you got to go get dad. And he'd walk over, and he's, you know, a John Wayne character, man. He just would open that driver's side, scoot over, boy, had this bench seat, you know. And, uh, and, and he'd just open that door, scoot over, boy, and I'd, and I'd slide over into the passenger seat. And he would sit in that truck, and it was like magic. I mean, he'd shift into reverse, give it a little gas, shift into low, and just drive off. And I was like, how do you do that? My dad died in 2020. COVID-19 took him. And so I can't offer him to you. Okay, he's not, I can't like say, hey, here, take my dad with you. He'll help you get unstuck. But I will tell you, you don't want to do anything without your daddy. All right, I can commend to you the creator of the heavens and the earth. And sometimes when we're stuck, and sometimes when we're spinning our wheels, sometimes we get so busy, we realize, oh, I haven't invited God into this problem. I'm just sitting here. I've been so stressed. I'm so angry. We're so divided. They get on my nerves so much. And I haven't said, God, would you help me? Hey, I'm going to scoot over in the passenger seat. Would you drive? Would you, would you help us pull out of this ditch? Would you help us move forward? And God, if I'm continuing to spin my wheels, maybe you're not with me. Maybe this is not the changes you wanted me to make. Like, help me understand, Father. Would you give me clarity? And if not clarity, would you give me faith to go whatever direction you want me to go to make whatever shifts I need to make? This can be my prayer for you right now. Father, would you help these friends to shift Lord, we invite you into our problems. We give you just a minute to invite him into your problems. Okay, fight the distractions. Don't let your mind wander. Get off your phone and just talk to him and say, God, this is my problem. I'm handing you the wheel. You don't need me to hand it. You're sovereign. You're all powerful. I'm sliding over. Would you take control? Fight the distractions and ask him. Don't let the enemy distract you right now. Identify the problem and ask God to take over. Ask him to help you make the shift you need to make. Father in heaven, I know you've, you probably just heard hundreds of things come up to you at once. And you're big enough. And my heart is filled with hope if, if just the churches represented here go back and they incorporate the vision that Jesus casted on the, on the side of a hill in Caesarea Philippi a couple thousand years ago. If we just did that, Lord, I have nothing that I haven't received from you by your grace. If, there's always the, the risk of arrogance when you say, hey, here's what I've done. And so, Lord, would you just protect them from my arrogance? If there's anything that I said that's inconsistent with who you are or your character, I pray that it would be forgotten before they get up. But Lord, if there's anything that I've said that's consistent with who you are and your character by your Holy Spirit made known to us through your word, Father, I pray that it would stir in our heads and in our minds until we shift. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Well, that's all we have uh, today, friends. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or comments, we can be reached at clp at watermark.org. That's clp at watermark.org. We'll talk to you again next time. 